Welcome to the Producer Podcast. This is the show where we interview successful producers from around the world, and we ask them how they make their music, what they're doing in the studio, what software they're using, hardware. We talk about their career. We get out marketing tips for you guys. The whole goal is to help you guys out there become better producers, better marketers, and get your music heard. My name is Steve Cherubino. I'm your host, and we always have an amazing producer on the show. This show is absolutely no different. Corporate is joining us from Seattle in the U.S., also known as Dan Taylor. What's going on, Dan? Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, man, thanks a lot for doing this. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and what kind of music you do. Yeah, so uh, I got started producing um, uh, probably about two years ago, uh, pretty seriously. And uh, I had a lot of influence from, um, I, I mean, like a lot of people I grew up with, uh, Linkin Park and uh, a lot of industrial kind of music. Um, and then got into the drum and bass scene uh, and uh, was just kind of messing around with like producing hip hop beats. You know, I got into producing with loops when I was like, you know, 14 or 15 after I uh, uh, got got interested in I, I think drumming is probably the first first way I got into music. But um, uh, yeah, I got got into drum and bass. Uh, uh, you know, that was uh, that really resonated with me. And then um, from there, I just uh, uh got more serious and more serious. And, you know, after I got some encouragement from friends, it's like, oh, I could really you know, start producing this stuff. And, uh, you know, it's, it, I feel like it's kind of the starting goal of every artist is, you know, can I make my music sound legit? You know, and uh, it would, it would start out where it's like, you know, producing a song and I'd kind of, I'd kind of keep it away from friends. And then I'd uh, play it in a car without telling anyone. And I just look to see, uh, look at everyone's expressions and you know if they said oh dan did you make this then it means i probably did something wrong um <laughs> but uh you know if they just kind of ignored it then it's like okay maybe they just think it's like you know average music so like i don't That's know so once funny <laughs> once once you get that established then it's like you know once i got signed and uh stuff like that uh, then i get messages that people say look look your production's clean uh you got some really good sound out there then it's like you can kind of you can kind of sit on that. It's like, okay, now I can, I know I can make like some, some music that, you know, people understand. And then, and then from there, it's kind of a challenge of, you know, how, how relevant do I keep this? So, you know, the average user can understand what I'm producing and then how much do I try to, you know, push it with some new influences and stuff like that. And, uh, I, I really like bringing new stuff to the table. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what I've been about. Yeah. It sounds like you think it through whatever yeah. you're doing and i love your car test that's awesome if they, if they ignore it you know it's good yeah yeah exactly so. um now i would say your, your music doesn't sound like drum and bass to me it's more like just bass music like dubstep right yeah it was it was funny because i i did a a little album that i did on Bandcamp, and that was before i knew um about networking and labels and anything like that i started out with like absolutely no contacts in the edm industry which is uh, uh a little strange, but um, uh, so I just learned about like Bandcamp, and I released a thing on there. And there's one drum and bass track on there that I'm, you know, it's <laughs> it's a little, it's got a lot of stuff in it, and uh, it was, I don't, I don't know, it's not my favorite, but um, uh, I, I don't know. I got after after a drum and bass, I did a lot of listening to like Pendulum and guys like uh, Grifta and Break, and um, they were big drum and bass influences for me, but. Uh, kind of phased out of that and got into glitch up. It's cool having all those influences. I mean, you can definitely hear it. And it's, I mean, it's great. As many genres you can dip into just to like broaden your palette. I think it's really good. 
Yeah, and you know, EDM's one of the one of the big I guess giant genres that is so restricted for each you know, each genre is almost restricted just by tempo. Um and you know, no other music has has that same kind of restrictiveness, which makes sense because, you know, it's it's DJed in clubs and people try to, you know, uh, match BPMs up and so having all these subgenres is super useful but um you know if you're going to become a creative producer i feel like you don't have to be limited by dubstep or anything like that it's you know what kind of sound do you have and how can you bring that to the table with a bunch of different disciplines yeah man that's the way to stay on top of it more power to you for thinking that way i think that that's (laughs) definitely right now what actually got you started trying to produce this music you just uh like listening to drum and bass and yeah, I, I liked uh, drum and bass. That was probably later on. I, re- I really got into producing uh, music uh, through uh, listening to a bunch of hip hop music. Um, and then I learned about, you know, loop production and stuff like that and right. started, you know, when I was young, I started using GarageBand and Acid Pro um, and just messing around with kind of loops like that. Nice. Um, and I, want, I, don't, I don't know, like some some people get sick of the drum and bass beat, but for some reason that just like resonated with me. It was like once I heard that, you know, is is like there's there's no going back. I I love this kind of style of music. Really, yeah, it's yeah. you have to love it because it's so repetitive that beat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think it's very cool. Yeah, I was actually researching it the other day. You, you know, like the original drum and bass beat. Um, yeah, and I was just listening to that on YouTube. I mean, I thought that stuff came from breakbeat uh, influences. Yeah, yeah that was. I, I think that's kind of where that started from. Is I um. Uh, some of BT's earlier stuff, I really got into that breakbeat kind of thing. And that's probably where it came, translated over to drum and bass. Is, right. Um, yeah. That's very cool. Now, what doll do you use to write your music? Um, I use Ableton, like everyone else. <laughs> no, not everyone <laughs> else. I'll, well, yeah, that's true. But um, yeah, I am uh, got interested in Ableton just uh, looking at a bunch of different DAWs. Um, uh, when, I, when I looked at stuff like Logic, it... it seems a lot less modular and you know I prefer a lot of modular editing and from everything that I had understood you know Ableton was a good platform like a, it kind of acted as a just sterile clean room of sound you know it, it gives you exactly what you put in um, and so to get a really full sound you have to you know work for it the DAW doesn't really do anything for you or any of its built-in stuff um, and I think that's fun you know yeah I like to have a lot of control over the sound like that yeah that is fun I love I love doing that, and I, I like the way you uh, pr- worded that modular Ableton does fit that, whereas like Logic is more linear, like see, like just flowier, left to right. You know what I mean? With with Ableton, yeah. you could really break things up. Mm-hmm. And Logic, uh, you know, I've worked with it. Some of my uh, one of my friends decided to go that direction, and um, working with it, you know, each one of their synths is designed and laid out a little bit differently because they kind of like to, you know, design up everything. And Ableton's is just like, you know, you got a bunch of, you know, knobs, a bunch of buttons. Like, here's how it works. And I really prefer that kind of environment. Yeah, it is true. There is something to be said for like consistency between all the plugins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I work better with the left to right too. Just, I think it's just my musical background. It's almost like this is a tape and this is spinning like tape. And this is yeah. how it moves at the speed. Like I don't know, it just works better for me. I use Studio One. Did you ever try that? I haven't. No. It's so good. Yeah. It's not modular, but it's still good. Okay, I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah. I was just looking at. I, I've been looking at Bitwig a little bit because that's slowly kind of come up. But there's a there's a few um, 
kind of exact parameters, being able to you know turn the knobs and type in exact values to be able to get in that I don't think they hashed out totally uh, in the in the version that I was trying. So. Uh. Yeah, some cool things about Bitwig is how it shows like the LFO motion. Um, when when you yeah. automate, it actually shows all the automations on the knobs at, in the plugins while the song's going. That's yeah. really cool to me. I love that. that. That's neat. Yeah. Now, uh, tell us about your workflow. Like when you write a song, how do you do it? So, yeah, workflow has always been a really uh, kind of fun experimentation and uh, cool thing, I guess, is uh, I actually come from a, a design background. So I got an education in graphic design and uh, started working full time in graphic design. And now I've, I've gone back to school to study industrial design along with this music thing. And both disciplines are uh, really heavy on uh, coming up with ideas efficiently. And uh, so they go through, uh, you know, a thumbnail process, creative processes, and you know, in school, you learn a bunch of stuff about you know not hindering your creativity and being able to spill out as many ideas as you can. So coming from that uh, thumbnailing process and stuff, what's and, that? What uh, does that mean, thumbnailing? So I mean, literally, where you draw out thumbnails, and it's it you know the it kind of comes from brainstorming where it's like you know you're going to write out a hundred ideas, and you're not going to critique any of those ideas. And you know, for music, it would be like you know you're going to come up with a melody, and if you're like that melody's bad, it's like no, don't don't stop with that melody. See if you can work other things in, and eventually it can turn you know pretty good because your brain is thinking in a in a proactive way and not you know that's writer's block is essentially you know um, when you when you write something and then you look at it and try to critique it right then, hmm. uh, and so you're constantly you know critiquing. Uh, your work, and that's that's a hard cycle to get into. You know, that's some days I just sit there looking at the DAW, like I'm I'm critiquing this too much. You know, I need to just get away and just start, you know, come back and start shoveling things onto the uh, into the software. Right. Um, so uh, it, that was a that was a cool influence to bring to here because I feel like the design profession uh, really has that uh, worked out a really healthy process for coming up with ideas. So uh, I know a lot of producers. Um, who, uh, you know, they they work out the melody and the beat in the DAW. They'll just kind of they'll start typing things out, and then they'll um, hit them with some pads and stuff, and come up with some cool melodies like that. And for some reason, I just can't come up with it that <laughs> way. I have a I have a little bank on my phone of embarrassing recordings of me beatboxing and singing uh, with little notes typed out, and uh, you know, of different songs. And that's that's how they start is just in there. And once I uh, once one idea is starting to feel like you know this has been stuck in my head for a while, I want to put some other you know bits into that. Then it's taking it into the DAW, and you know I, I usually start out with the main melody uh, from it. You know the, the the big question is this melody sounded good in my head. Can can I get it? Can I get it to sound that way in the DAW? And uh, so I'll you know start off with the main melody in there, and if it sounds sounds pretty good then it's like okay let's let's just slowly work this from here and see if we can get the supporting song uh, to sound really good with it and um, uh, the the creative process was kind of fun to you know figure out what order to do all these things in um, you know for me because I started drumming um, the once the drums are built into a song it starts to really bump and it's like oh this is this is a good good track and sometimes you know, I'll be working on a song and I'll get the drums in, and then it's like, oh damn! Like, I'll I'll just I'll just keep hitting play, 
and just keep repeating that part. And then, you know, an hour goes by and I've only hashed out a couple details. I haven't done mu much to the song. And, I, you know, I've only got like 25 seconds of audio. And it's like, no, I need to be building bigger things. So uh, one thing I tried with uh, one of my tracks called Forward that's on my uh, latest Culture Shock EP um, is, uh, you know, I knew this would be really satisfying once I get the drums built in. So I thought, what, what, what happens if I don't? build the drums in until 90% of the song is done. <laughs> so <laughs> I did that and it was it was the weirdest thing cuz you know the, the whole time the first second part the break everything like that got built in. Um and I was never satisfied, you know, totally satisfied with the track cuz it never had drums in it. So I built it a lot faster. It usually takes me about um 2 to 3 months off and on to to build a track, you know, I um just kind of off and on work. Um, yeah. But uh, forward, I, 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 I mean, I was on a break from uh, college work and was like, I don't have much time to do this. And so I finished it in five days and I didn't sleep very much in those five days. I didn't eat very much. I think I lost weight, felt like a crazy person, <laughs> you know. And um, uh, but I, I think what helped that was, you know, I never built in the drums, so I was never totally satisfied by it. It was totally weird at the end of the track. I, I, I threw in the drums, you know, when about 90% of it was done and it sounded really weird. I was like, I don't know if I really like this because I've heard this track, you know, a thousand times replayed without drums, just imagining them in. And now that they're in, like, I'm not totally sure I like this. And it took like 12, 12, 24 hours to like settle in and be like, okay, this, this actually sounds good now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was a fun thing in the creative process. But what, what did people think when the drums came in after 90% of the song? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I usually try to keep um, production, like if I have a specific question for someone on production, like what do you think of this, you know, I'll ask them. But a lot of times I don't show my friends like anything just because uh, in a lot of my older music, you know, I'd, I'd hash out 25 seconds of the song and then I'd show it to a friend and they'd, they'd listen to it. And then I'd feel kind of like satisfied that I showed someone the track. And then I wouldn't build more on it. So I've kind of I've kind of made a habit of keeping these secret, not for them, but for me, so that I can actually finish the song. Right, right. Um, I can just imagine so, your SoundCloud on that track. Like all the comments are like at ninety percent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's cool. So, that's cool. Yeah, I like your creative process. That's really interesting. And if you ever do like start a membership site or something, you have to release yeah. your beatboxing on your in your phone like <laughs> as a perk. Yeah, that that's one thing I thought would be funny is just show the little the little crappy recording that, you know, started off like ice or whatever. Yeah. Just show what that was originally and then what it turned into. Definitely. That'd be very cool. But, <laughs> well, can you tell us any of your favorite production tips using Ableton? Yeah, so I mean, I, I, I would probably need a tutorial to talk about I love doing stuff with uh like sidechain AM synthesis using a or um AM synthesis using like a sidechain gate, or I could talk about frequency specific delay, but I think just uh, this would probably need a tutorial. I think just a general uh good tip that I found was um I got a lot of comments of people saying, you know, you have a really clean mix. Um uh isn't muddled with anything and you know, how do it how do you achieve that? And I think a lot of that is due to um, I try to make sure that um, my mix sounds 100% good before I throw anything on the master chain. Mm -hmm. So if it sounds like the drums need more compression or if it sounds like you know th this thing needs tweaking or the whole song just doesn't have enough treble or you know something like that, um, 
it's better to take care of it instrument by instrument, even if it means throwing in, you know, a few other plugins and stuff like that into your bus or your instrument or however you do sure. it. Um, and, and hashing that out while you still have the song in its organic track by track form. Um, and then, you know, the mastering should only be you know, maybe limiting or something like that. And it, it makes mastering really easy whether you send it off to someone else or whether you do it yourself. Well, I mean, if you send it off to someone else, they probably love you for that. Yeah, they would. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, trying to get all that stuff to sound that way, that's just, you know, once you get 90% of your track finished, just, you know, you go find some other song that you think probably equates somewhere around to that or a completely different song. And you just, you know, listen, what kind of equalization do they have? Why, why does this sound so good? And just kind of try to, you know, work out everything that way. Yeah. That's a great tip. Cool, man. Any other tips? Um, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I, I can I can go on about you know everything that I learned uh, I guess creative thinking wise because I I think you know music's a, for me is a lot more about the creative thinking and how to bring in new melodies and uh, and sounds into these genres uh, rather than the actual like production part of it um, I you know I consider my production to be pretty messy just uh, um, it, you know it. It's kind of, you know, one layer on top of another on top of another. And I think that's probably from tendencies to fill up the, pe- the spectrum. You know, when I listen to guys like Pendulum and they just fill everything to the brim with sound. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that was always kind of a tendency of mine. So lately it's been a, you know, what can I refine and stuff like that right. so, uh, so that things don't get messy. And I end up, you know, slathering effects on and using uh, a lot of uh, different like grouped chains with different instances of like synths and stuff like that. So it, it, it just gets really messy, but you know, it's, it's like, okay, well this is, this is super messy, but I got the sound that I wanted. Right. So. There's nothing wrong with it if it sounds good. <laughs> yeah. One of my, um, I, at one point I didn't upgrade to live nine actually, because, uh, one of my tracks sabotage was like lagging on my laptop and I have 16 gigs of Ram and, uh, <laughs> Uh, Live 9 would not even handle it. So it was like, okay, better not upgrade yet. Wow, that is a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, some of it has to do with, um, you know, there's a, there's a kind of sound that I want and I haven't seen anyone who makes a plugin for it. And so I just end up, you know, building like, uh, there's a frequency specific delay thing that I've used uh, that delays a sound uh, different amounts based on what frequency of that sound is. And I haven't found it. It's, it's kind of like a tape smearing effect, uh, like old retro tapes. And it's, uh, it's an effect that I found was kind of a, um, kind of a, a side effect from doing like a multiband compression. Um, it yeah. comes in just a little bit. And so I wanted to try to create something like that. And, uh, you know, it just turned into a huge disgusting <laughs> uh, chain of you know multiple bandpass filters and a bunch of delays and every time I drag that in it just drags my CPU up a bunch. <laughs> that sucks because you know it's the sound you want but you know it's gonna really hit yeah, the CPU it's hard. Gonna, it's gonna hurt. Yeah, yeah. and I'm I'm a, I'm a lot about um, non-destructive editing being able to, being able to go back. So resampling is fun, but I try to do it as little as possible. Hmm, that's interesting. We have some like hardcore resampling fans, and then we have the MIDI guys. I think I still fall into the MIDI camp. Yeah, <laughs> I like going back and having that option of you know, but you know, there were, a lot of dolls now will freeze the track but not destroy the MIDI. So, yeah, and that's that's really useful for doing stuff like that. Yeah, uh, occasionally, you know, just to throw it in, I'll sample one of my other songs, which is somewhat you know nice if you can just take an, another one of your songs and stretch it out or reverse it. 
Um, Ice, uh, my track Ice has a bunch of these little kind of reversed um, kind of tape sounds that come up. And they're just another one of my songs that's been reversed and then had this, you know, speed goes way up. Oh, that's cool. Um, And so sampling your other tracks is cool as long as, you know, if you release on multiple labels, it's probably good etiquette to get permission with them. Like, look, can I sample my own track? (laughs) <laughs> if I release it on a different label. I didn't even think about that until a few days ago. Oh, really? That's funny. <laughs> Can I sample my own track? I promise I'll just do it in reverse. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's cool. Now, you yeah. definitely have a distinctive sound. So whatever that effects chain is that you got going on, that I'm, that's probably what's doing it. <laughs> what's your favorite soft synth? So um probably going to sound like a, a kind of a minimal noob here just because... Uh, uh, my favorite one so far has been Ableton's operator that comes with the suite. And that's probably because it's, you know, just a basic uh, FM synth with four modulator um, things. And um, uh, from there, you know, I don't end up just making a synth just using that. I end up having, you know, a bunch of amps and other stuff like that uh, on top of that. And then sometimes I'll put it up in a chain with another instance of operator and then do like a side chain gate between them. So it ends up getting kind of, I prefer to kind of go modular rather than have one synth that kind of does it all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, so far um, I haven't found a reason to use something else yet, but um, you know. So you use that for a lot of your tracks then? Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Uh, mo- most of my bases are done all with Ableton's operator, of course, with a bunch of other stuff too. Right. And, and who, a lot of that who could possibly yeah. accuse you of being minimalist if, after looking at your website? wait which website i'm i'm talking about your dan taylor website oh (laughs) there's one it just says your name on it and then a couple great links under it it's at the very top very small oh yeah (laughs) yeah i forgot about that yeah that's that's my that's my little design portfolio website that i've used i like that but yeah I, i like as far as software goes i really like you know getting as familiar with possible and kind of bursting everything at the seams until I upgrade to more hardware or software. And I, you know, a while back when I used Acid and GarageBand, um, when I was really young, you know, I used GarageBand and started adding a bunch of plugins and GarageBand just got disgusting. I had so many tracks on there and stuff and it was like, okay, this is bursting at the seams. I got to get to another, you know. And then um, you, you started bursting acid at the seams because that's that can, that program could usually take it pretty good. Yeah, that that program could take it. Um, it was mainly I used acid when I was on a PC, and then I switched over to Mac, and I saw a bunch of benefits in GarageBand, and then there were a bunch of downfalls oh, with yeah. it. Huge. Um, but I just kind of shifted over by default because I switched over to Mac. <laughs> I got so, you. I got you. Yeah. Something to be said about that Sony software, even their video video editing software. It's like they've never yeah. updated it for ten years, so it runs super fast. <laughs> Yeah, but it's ugly as hell and it doesn't you know, it, it does the job, but it's just it's pretty minimal actually Yeah, that that was the thing and if I were to go back and use, you know, Sony acid I'd you know, that'd probably work really well It's um, I just tended to use it while I was working on a PC. Yeah, don't use it I have a friend who uses it and it crashes all the time on an i7. Oh, so God. yeah, yeah And I think last time I looked it up. They've been on the same version forever. I know I, I don't I think they're done with that They still yeah. update Vegas, but not acid. Yeah, that makes sense all right, what about effects plugins? What's your favorite effect? Um, also probably going to sound like a total noob. Um, I mean, I uh, some of the basic effects that you can get for free by Melda Productions are always cool just because they have a good bandpass filter, I think, um, which I couldn't find any like a good one in Ableton that really is able to cut off a bunch of other frequencies. And I use that for one of my big disgusting effect chains. Ah. Um, 
And uh, I mean, limiting, I use um, FabFilter Pro L uh, just because it's a generally good limiter and Ableton's one, uh, it doesn't retain nearly as much of a good punch to it. No. And so usually... No, I'm not a fan um, of Ableton's. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, it doesn't have that many controls either. Um, so, I mean, pretty much pretty much that stuff. Nothing, nothing too crazy. No, that's good. How about hardware? <laughs> Do you use any hardware in the studio? So, um, I mean, I have a big uh, M-Audio uh, Axiom, the big 49 control keyboard. And, you know, that thing sits in my closet. And, you know, for production, um, sometimes I'm on the go, stuff like that. And, you know, the, the, a lot of this hardware that I end up getting is just a shortcut for the, the keyboard and mouse. And, uh, you know, if I can just hash it out on the, on the mouse and keyboard, it's like, I'll, ju I'll just do it that way. So that's what uh, you so, primarily do then? Yeah, for production, I, I usually do that. And, you know, I'm kind of a freak about keeping it, um, keeping everything editable. So as much as I can do in the DAW is, you know, uh, good for me because then I can make changes later on. Um, uh, probably one of my favorite pieces of equipment that's, you know, ju is just this, uh, this stereo field recorder, which I'm actually got mic'd up right now. Um, and uh, is that what you're talking about you know, now? Yeah, that's it's a it's a little field recorder by Zoom. It's their H2, and they've made way better ones now. They're they're at, I don't know the H6, and they're they're fantastic. But uh, it's it's just a good, a generally good mic that you can take on the go. And you know, I've I've gone to um, camping trips and stuff like that, and hit metal poles and hit gravel. And um, later on, it's like, oh damn, I needed a sample exactly like that. So I you know have all this uh, sampled stuff. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it sounds really good for the interview. It's just got uh, four, I think it's like four patterned uh, condenser microphones in it. And so it records in like a two channel and four channel surround sound. But uh, it, it gets, I mean, what I'm worried about is it capturing enough bass I'm, if I'm sampling anything that's super bassy. It seems see. to do a pretty good job. So that's, um, that's cool. yeah, portable field recorders, that's probably been a, a big deal for me. Um, as far as live stuff, you know, uh, the... You know, obviously, you can't run a live set very easily just using the mouse and keyboard, and I yeah. think that's where gear gear really comes in handy for me. And uh, rather than going with like an Ill Gates template or anything uh, for like a um, uh, what is it, the APC, um, I just kind of started my live set from scratch. Just like what what do I need to be able to play? What do I want to be able to do? What kind of things do I want to be able to actually you know tap out live? Right. Um, and you know how can I incorporate that in and so pretty much my setup just needed a bunch of buttons and knobs. And right now I just do that with a couple Akai LPD-8 uh, pad controllers. They're super cheap things, but I just needed a bunch of knobs and pads uh, to take care of these things. And I think that's, you know, those, those DJing templates and stuff are really good, uh, but it's, it's nice to get a good foundation just trying to build your own because some of the effects that you may use in the studio that no one's ever done, some cool effects chains, you know, if you if you're building your set from scratch, you can throw those right into your live setup right. and give it a real unique sound. Right <clears throat> now, the LPD eight is that the one with the, the keyboard at the bottom and then the drum pads and the knobs at the top? No, it's just the drum pads and the knobs. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, that's very so, cool. Yeah, yeah. I've just got a lineup of multiple, you know, ones of those, and it just gives me enough Sweet. presets. Oh, and then they're so light. Just throw them in the bag. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> now, where do you but, go and personally learn and improve your own? EDM production skills. Yeah, that. Um, uh, I mean, I started out looking at 
uh, tutorials, you know, how to build like these kind of, you know, you look up how to build like, I don't know, Skrillex base or something and plenty of people have done that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, once you get a, a generally good understanding of, you know, just the production on that, you know, it's just a lot of Google searching and how to do this and how to do that. Um, and from there, for me, it's more about listening to other people's work and asking, you know, first of all, how could I, could I reproduce the sound that they came up with? You know, if they have a crazy sound, it's like, wow, could I make that? Um, and then, you know, the other thing is what, what mindset were they in to possibly think of, you know, using or creating a sound like that? Right. And what, how can I kind of expand my thinking to, to, to really worry about that? And so, you know, YouTube tutorials, of course, are a great resource for for the actual production, being able to make those kinds of things. And so, a lot of my, you know, uh, production learning just comes from, well, I, I want to make a sound like this. You know, what what am I trying to do that could be accomplished by what equipment, and what do I need to, you know, how do I need to, to learn how to do that? I guess. And YouTube yeah. usually has that. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, YouTube, or you know, you you go ask the Ableton forums, you go ask the you know any other forums? Um, uh, uh, this um, it's probably hard to explain the whole um, uh, frequency specific delay thing. I was I was wondering about that, like how you could achieve that effect, because I started seeing it as a side effect from multiband compressors, and I just asked Reddit, and people said, "Oh, this is starting to sound like a kind of a tape delay." And you know, once you can get a good keyword. That's like, oh, this is this is what the industry calls it. <laughs> right. It's like, okay, who makes a good plug-in for that and you know, all that kind of stuff. That's very cool. Yeah. All those Ableton forums, Reddit, very helpful. You can't top oh, yeah. you, you can't top YouTube for just free tutorials. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's such a game changer, YouTube. Yeah. Now what what would you say is the highlight of your music career thus far? Um, I mean, probably uh, my track Ice that I did is probably the one that most people know me by, and um, it was it was the first track that I ended up releasing or sending to a label. Um, it was right when I was starting to make you know contacts with uh, different labels, and um, uh, I have like absolutely no marketing experience, um, and so I found the most useful thing was to you know I'd find an artist, I'd send a uh, um, I'd send a, uh, or I'd, I'd find, find an a artist. label. Yeah, sorry, I'd find an artist and uh, figure out what label w- were they on. You gotcha. know, if I heard someone, it was like, oh, this person's really good. I'd find out what label they were on because if they were good, then their label was probably really small. And uh, I'd send an email to that label, and I just started sending emails out like that. And finally, I got a response from these guys at Dirty Duck Audio, and uh, they said your stuff is really good, and they released this track called Ice. And since then. Uh, that track got played by Porter Robinson during one of his uh, live gigs. It got it landed on uh, Pretty Lights radio show. The his radio show it's called the Hot Shit, and uh, yeah, it landed I saw on, that. I saw that on your Facebook. Yeah. that's killer. And yeah, it was it was really exciting to find that out. And you know, a bunch of gamer YouTube channels have wanted to use it for their like video compilations, and uh, um, so that that just got a bunch of response, and it was really nice to get that. Oh yeah, that's awesome, and you know, congratulations on like finding a label, getting signed, and it's like you said, you don't know the first thing about marketing. Well, that's what labels are for. <laughs> Use them for that. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That was the big thing is you know if you, um, uh, 
if you know all the contacts like that you can send it out to and you know you know a bunch of people that's great you could probably go without a label i mean the one thing that the labels can't seem to compete with is blogs because that's what the you know the relevant listeners are following right. you know they're following right. dubstep.net glitchhop.net and if it, if a track lands off, off there the publicity that comes from there a lot of small labels can't necessarily compete with but if you send your tracks to a label you know they're trying to get as popular as you are from that track right. so they're going to do everything they can to market it while you get to produce other music so yeah, a amazing. lot of that stuff i like to hand off to someone else sure that's it's a win-win situation i think yeah now what would you say really helped your career along i mean you might have just mentioned it there but are there any things that as you're looking at it down the line really got you to the next level um yeah it was i mean one was definitely you know you, you find some artists you like you send an email to their label um, and you just keep sending emails, you know, you're going to get, you know, 90 responses or 90, like, uh, people just totally ignoring you. And then, uh, maybe one response out of that. But, uh, um, another thing is, you know, contacting other artists, you know, I, I met evoke and started working with him just because I sent him a SoundCloud message and say, Hey, you know, I said, Hey, really digging your beats and stuff like that. And then he said, yeah, cool. I'll, I'll take a listen to your stuff as well. And a lot of artists will do that, you know. Someone sends me a message on SoundCloud, whether I tell them or not, I usually click on their page and then I listen to their music. You know, right. some, sometimes I'll say, oh, I'm really digging your beats as well. Or sometimes I'll say nothing, but usually I listen to them. <laughs> and uh, You know, it's funny. I just released a Vokes show I did with him and the title of it is Connecting Up With Other Producers. <laughs> so you're talking about yeah. exactly what, uh, what we talked about a little bit there. And it's funny that you met up with him and did the same thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And he's been really cool to work with. I just hope he comes down to Seattle so we can actually like say hi. <laughs> I forget where he is. Is he in Canada? He's in Colorado, yeah. Okay. okay so cool. Boulder. Well, that's great advice. Definitely. And I can see how that would help you help you along and uh just get your start networking for you, you know, get the, the word out. Yeah. Now, what's the most effective way you found to market your music? Um and uh that's probably again, I know like you know, absolutely no contacts. And so the big thing was just getting my friends into it, uh, getting it to trying to get it played anywhere uh, possible. Um, but I, I think the the blogs and stuff are kind of big things. You know, if you could get your track played in one club, you know, if you ask the club owner, that's great. But, you know, almost no one's going to going to ask about that track. And if right. they do ask about it, they'll Shazam it. And if it's not registered with Shazam, then, you know, it, it won't pop up or anything like right. that. And so then they forget um, about it. Yeah, exactly. So it's um, as much as I thought originally that you know doing stuff live and doing a live gig would get you followers. It's it's all about the blogs, really. Hmm. Interesting. And the online presence. So yeah. Now speaking about playing live, what's the best gig you ever played? Um, so far, I just got back from uh, Conscious Culture Fest, and that was quite an experience. It was out in the middle of nowhere in Tenasket, Washington. No cell service or anything like that. <laughs> And they had a dome there, and about 2,000 people attended the event. Uh, and then they had a dome. It was it was kind of like a folk life, or if you're familiar with folk life, that's a big kind of that in Hempfest in Seattle and stuff like that is um, uh, what's, just what's huge What's the story with it? Why is it called Conscious Culture? Um, it's kind of all about uh, themes around the environment and cool. uh, just kind of getting out there and experiencing, you know, nature and just doing whatever. Really um, cool. Um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. And then they had a dome there and that's where a bunch of artists played. And, uh, that was pretty sweet. A lot of people were digging my set there. Um, and I got to, uh, got to meet Mr. Bill there. He was the headliner and then, uh, some other great guys. Um, 
I played Filth Fest in Bellingham, Washington, and that was a big rave that's put on uh, yearly. And they had 50 Carat and Solomon up there as headliners, and I did an opening set, and that was really well received. Wow. So that was probably that was probably one of my favorites. Do you like playing live? Yeah, it, it it is really fun. I want to incorporate more and more. You know, I'm trying to incorporate more and more techniques that get away from just DJing yeah. and you know get more into being able to play different parts of your song live. And it's always been a balance: is how much do I focus on the live set and how much do I just spend time producing more music? Right. And you know, um, I'm kind of always trying to work out that that balance. You know, I always side towards I'd rather just produce better music and just you know play it out, but. I, w- I want to be able to interact with the crowd more. Sure, sure. I mean, that's it does take a lot of time setting that up, I could imagine. And you got to practice yeah. it and rehearse it and make sure it's it's like a whole yeah. different dynamic than actually producing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, what is the best piece of advice you could give to an aspiring producer right now? Um, probably uh, keep, uh, keep your options open. I... Uh, I wouldn't limit yourself to one specific genre or one specific style. You know, if you're trying to become a producer, you know, a producer is someone who can, you know, come up with great ideas in the music world, uh, regardless of genre or discipline and be able to fabricate them. You know, that's, that's what I think of it. Hmm. And I see a lot of uh, producers start today with, you know, they'll, they'll do a great trap song or they'll do something like that. And it'll, it'll hit hard and land on a EDM blog or something. And then, Everything that they'll build after that sounds kind of the same, right? Like, you know, <laughs> they they keep the same sense. They do a bunch of you know, um, kind of use the same techniques. And and in any other genre, you know, big genre of music, a style like that could be cons- consolidated to one album, and then they could go to a different album and do a completely different style. But it's almost like these artists try to define themselves just based off of you know they establish a cool niche a cool sound that no one else has done in the EDM world. And then they just keep with that. And it's like, you know, you, you could really be uh, respected for, you know, just doing a bunch of different things if you explore different styles, different influences. It puts um, them in a tough so. spot, though. I mean, they're, they're going with, like, the winning formula. Like, what made me was this, so I should keep yeah, doing yeah. this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It probably and, would make them nervous to try to do something new. But you're right. If you want to, you know, stick around, you're going to have to keep doing some new stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, it just takes, you know, slow steps is just, you know, building that confidence of if I produce something, you know, I, whatever I do, I know I can do it good. And to, to get to that, you know, get to that confidence point, I mean, it's the goal of everyone. I'm sure it's the constant goal of me is making sure that, you know, when I finish something, it's going to be, <laughs> you know, worthy yeah. in a way of to, to a bunch of listeners. It also depends on what listener base you're trying to, you know, trying to go for is, um, uh, you know, if, if you're trying to produce really complex stuff and, uh, stuff like that, and you, you know, your listener base is going to be, uh, more focused on what, uh, kind of what's going on in your head. Um, then you can kind of produce however you want. If you're trying to produce for the masses, then you're kind of focused on how is everyone going to listen to this? Right. Is this going to um, make people move? And dance? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And I, I had a friend who, uh, uh, one of my close buddies uh, started getting into Tool and uh, um, all of Maynard's stuff. He's done like four projects, uh, four different projects, um, all related to like Tool and like A Perfect Circle. And he did Pussifer and all these um, different side projects. And he kind of just does whatever he wants. And 
he knows like the listeners who are going to who are going to actually follow this guy don't care, you know, how how well his stuff fits in. They really want to hear the creativity that comes out of this guy. Uh. And so when you're in that spot, it's, you know, you know, you don't have to try to tailor this to any specific industry. That's a very cool position to be in. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> um, Neat, man. Good advice. Where can people find out more about you and hear your music? So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I have a Facebook, SoundCloud, facebook.com slash corporate music. I have a, I'm on Twitter, uh, talk to corporate, SoundCloud slash corporate music. It's, uh, I've had some artists message me and say it's really hard to find me because, you know, corporate's a, um, you know, a hard name to find on Google, especially yeah. corporate music, because that's a huge, completely different industry. <laughs> that's right. Um, Why did you pick that and, name? I meant to ask you that during the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it was mostly because, you know, I started producing a bunch of chill kind of music before I got really serious about EDM. And, you know, everything that I produced, a lot of my friends wa- said, wow, this sounds like something that would be in like a corporate business kind of <laughs> environment. And so that's always been this tendency that I've kind of grat- gravitated towards. So every once in a while, if I go into a break or a drop, you'll hear a few of those tendencies in my Really? Stuff. Like those corporate cheesy videos where like there's somebody's up there with a PowerPoint? <laughs> yeah, more like just kind of like very chill and bubbly kind of that oh, kind okay. of thing. Okay, I, I know what you mean. Um, I know what you mean. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, so that's I, I kind of wanted to tie back into those influences, and I also wanted a name that wasn't mis purposely misspelled, um, you know, something that's just like one solid word. And the disadvantage of that is, like, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the artist speakers, the now successful speakers. It was really hard to find his stuff when he was not so big. He had a track called Bass, and that was a nightmare to try to find on <laughs> <Bass> Google. Speaker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, that's that's the challenge with that. So. Um, just recently I started a little hub website that just has a bunch of links to all my stuff and it, I'm still working out the kinks, but that's available at corporate.fm. Gotcha. So that'll be a little bit easier to get to. Very cool. I love the name. <clears throat> it's a very cool name. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and you should sell some of your corporate stuff on like uh, audio jungle. You make good money that way. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Do you have any final messages you'd like to uh, give to the people here before we end off? Um, um, I mean, one of the big things that I uh, could say is that, um, you know, I, I feel like this industry isn't, you know, necessarily, I mean, it, production techniques are very valuable and stuff like that. But, you know, a lot of this industry is about creativity and coming up with something that's very original, especially in the EDM industry, uh, where it's easy to kind of repeat everything. Um, and uh, if you ever heard of the blog, everything is a remix or the, it's a, video podcast thing. Uh, everything is a remix. It's fantastic. And basically it describes, you know, nothing is original. Everything is just a conglomeration of uh, a bunch of different influences directed at one discipline. And so, you know, to really push this kind of music forward, uh, the, the big thing is to, um, you know, if you can bring influences, not just from other music genres, but other creative disciplines and anything else, uh, you can really help push this music forward to another level. I love that, man. I love that. <clears throat> Keeping it fresh. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it needs yeah. to be done. Um, there's only so much. Like if I listen to BPM on uh, my Sirius XM, there's only so many minutes I can listen to that before it just all sounds the same. Yeah, yeah. But um, that's pretty much it for the interview, man. Thank you so much for doing this. Great information you gave. I really oh, appreciate awesome. it, Thank Dan. You. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. No appreciate problem. That. And to everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to check out our website at theproducer.club. 
You can also check out our SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash the producer podcast. Talk to you later.